Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Let's go, friends. Welcome to church. Man, just one major announcement today. You've already heard about it. You've heard a testimony about it. You heard it on Church News, but Love the 50 Week is coming up. Who's fired up about Love the 50 Week? Man, it is... It started as a, as a hallway conversation. Matt and I were talking in the middle of pandemic in 2020, and we thought, gosh, you know, we're not gathering on Sundays, so we need to get out. We need to love on the community. We need to be a blessing all along the 50 corridor. And uh, man, what started with just a few projects here and there has exploded into over 700 volunteer opportunities, 70 different projects, a week's worth of projects. So, you know, if one particular day doesn't work for you, jump into another day. If morning doesn't work, look at the evening. If weekends don't work, look at the weekday. But friends, this is an all play for us. It's something that is so important to who we are, what we want to be about as a church. So, you can sign up in the lobby, jump in, serve with us. It's going to be an amazing, amazing week. Um, that being said, we are jumping into week three, and we've been having some fun with this one, or at least, I don't know about y'all, I've been having some fun with this one. Um, we have been looking at the, the most important relationships in our life, in all of our lives, and the different seasons of life that we go through in relationship, in relation to these relationships. And so on week one, I, I talked about singleness and dating. How, how do you find the right person that, man, you're going to spend the rest of your life with in marriage? Last week, my wife and I, we talked about the reality of marriage and uh, that's why the title of this series is First, Come, First Comes Love, Then Comes Marriage, Then Comes a, you know, the Baby and the Baby Carriage. You all know how it goes. But the reality is often not quite that simple or clean or clear-cut. In fact, often our culture gets confused about what love is, what love means, what love should lead to. We get confused about what marriage is. We think marriage you know, should be this just romantic, amazing, never-ending honeymoon of feelings. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not. Marriage is amazing, praise God. It's a gift from God, but it's hard, and there is sacrifice involved on both side, sides as you come to live in that covenant of marriage. And then for week three, we want to dive into um, really the, the family unit as a whole. And I'm not, I'm not going to be talking specifically on parenting. This isn't a seminar on parenting. Um, I will say this. Uh, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and my daughter, who is 13, is in seventh grade. Look, we, we are figuring this out as we go, people, okay? Uh, if you're a parent, you're in it, you know. So pray for us. Um, I will go on record saying, man, I love our kids so much, so proud of who they are, who they're becoming, but parenting is hard. Family dynamics are difficult. They are complicated. Often the family unit is, is not only a source of blessing, but it can be a source of great and deep pain for all of us. 
There are no perfect families. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect kids. And what I want to talk about today, because I think if we can get our minds and our hearts around this, I think it will have a massive impact on our children, on our family unit as a whole. And I believe it will create positive change for generations to come because what I'm talking about today is something that we're all aware of. It's something that kind of, you know, lurks beneath the surface of all of our lives, no matter how hard we resist it, and no matter how hard we push against it, it's just in all of us, starting at a young age, and when you're in high school and college, you vow to never become this, but it happens anyways, and what I'm talking about is this, eventually we all become our parents, in big ways and little ways, in quirky ways and in, you know, serious ways, whether you like it or not, whether it's a blessing or a curse, and usually it's a mixture of both, we end up becoming like our parents. There are generational things that are passed on. And friends, the Bible talks about this. It talks about this in Exodus 34, 6 to 7. This is just one of the many verses in scripture around the reality of generations and how God works from one generation to the next, how he works within the family unit, no matter how dysfunctional or messed up it may be, God is still at work. And listen to, listen to what he says to Moses in Exodus 34, verse six and seven. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord. He's declaring his name the God of compassion and mercy. He's defining himself by his compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. That's good news. That is something we all need. You know, if we stopped right here at verse six, all the warm and fuzzy feelings, wow, this is amazing. I love this verse. You know, put it over your kitchen sink. This is beautiful. And then it goes on, still awesome. I forgive sin, iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. So yes, there is forgiveness, but I do not excuse the guilty. We'll talk about the distinction between those in a minute. The sins of the parents, this is quite possibly the most terrifying verse in the Bible if you're a mom or a dad. Lord have mercy. Uh, the sins of the parents are revisited upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Lord, I like this verse better. <laughs> like, you know, you went all like MMA, UFC on the grandkids right here. <laughs> but it's really interesting as we dive into this, what he's talking about here. Because we all know it. We're all aware of it. Even the culture is aware of it. The Bible is not unique when it says there are certain things passed on specifically bad habits, come on somebody, from one generation to the next. We are shaped 
by the environments that we are raised in. We can't help it. We can't avoid it. It's just how it works. There are blessings and there are sinful patterns. There are good things and bad things that are passed down through the family line. Science confirms it. Doctors agree. That's why if your parents had high cholesterol, they say you should get checked at a younger age because you're more likely to have high cholesterol or just name whatever disease or whatever it might be. Often things are passed down both genetically and biologically, and we are, at one level or another, we are the products of the environment that we're raised in. It's not just the environment that we're raised in. It's not just our parents that shape who we are, but they play a massive role. That's why in culture you hear things like this. The apple doesn't fall too far from the, like father, like, like mother, like, yeah. You know, even progressive insurance understands this reality. Have you all seen these commercials? They're amazing. Check this out. I'm sorry for our online viewers. It's got to be muted for copyright rules, but I love this commercial. Check this out. cannot help you from becoming your parents, but they can definitely help you with your insurance needs. Everyone realize and realizes this, and I, I don't remember who said this or who coined this phrase, but I love it. Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. It's just the way the world works. And friends, I want to say this so clearly. I believe that one of the greatest things you can do for the health of your children and your family is not to bury your past, ignore your past, deny your past, but instead to confront your past. Learn from it. Allow Jesus to begin his healing work in your soul so that you can break the dysfunctional or destructive patterns that have been passed down for far too long. If we don't confront the broken parts of our past, then we will remain stuck in generational patterns of sin and dysfunction. The pain of your past will never be healed by simply suppressing it or ignoring it. But with Christ, we don't have to be afraid of our past. We can approach it through the lens of grace and we can begin to break those strongholds that have been around for generations. Friends, we can write a new story, amen? We can write a new story. And so today we are looking at this idea of dealing with our past. We're looking at this idea of generational sin. How do we recognize it and break it? Because if we do, it will change the dynamic of our kids, of our families for generations. That's what the Bible 
teaches us. That's what we see. And so I want to look at four things today as we go through this scripture and we look at one other scripture about how we deal with our past and how we can break the strongholds of generational sins that have been a part of our families for too long, how we can be the ones who start a line of blessing through our actions and through our obedience that ends up blessing our grandkids and our great-grandkids in the years and generations to come. That's, that's what I want to be a part of. That's how I want to live my life. Amen? So number one, first thing that you have to remember we are not defined by our past, but we are shaped by it. We are not defined by our past, but we are shaped by it. The beautiful thing of trusting Christ and following Christ is that we are saved by grace through faith. And no matter what you've done, where you've been, you are not too far gone. Your past is not too messy. It's not too broken. No matter how deep the pain, how deep the hurt, there is healing available. And Jesus can begin to write a new story. That's true for all of us. That's the beauty of salvation. Number two, you cannot break the hold of an unseen and unforgiven sin. If you're not aware of it, you can't get rid of it. And if you haven't received the forgiveness of God for that sin, it's just going to keep happening. If you don't understand and you're not aware of it and you're not receiving the grace and the forgiveness of God over that thing first, if you just try to, to, to break these generational patterns, whatever they may be, I'm sure it doesn't take you long to think of a, a list of what those could be. If you just try to break those in your own strength or maybe for a religious reason because you wanna earn the favor of God or you wanna do the right thing, it's not gonna get broken. It's gonna keep popping up. You have to first receive God's forgiveness. You have to first be made aware of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. See what it's doing to you and to those around you. Number three, this is good news, and we just read about this. God has weighted the scales in your favor. I'll explain more what that means in a minute. And then number four, God has invited you into his family. He's put out to all of us the offer of adoption into the family of God, into a family line that overcomes death and sin and all the things that we are all facing in our everyday lives. And so, number one, we are not defined by our past, but we are shaped by it. Where we come from, it shapes our present reality. If you find yourself in a cycle of doing things over and over and over again, of acting in certain ways and responding in certain ways, whether it be anger, impatience, if you find in your own life strongholds that just seem to, to take over, to overwhelm your mind and emotion and lead to immediate action in your life and that end up producing typically negative outcomes or results, and half the time, you don't even realize how you ended up in the negative results or how you even got triggered in the first place. It's just automatic. It just seems to happen. If you find yourself caught in that cycle, you need to understand that's probably rooted somewhere in your past. 
There's probably a beginning to that thing and just trying to stop it at the symptom level instead of the root cause, it's not gonna work. You can't, symptom management doesn't work. We have to get below the surface to understand what's happening, where it came from. We all come from different families of origin, different family cultures, different national cultures. We come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We've all experienced different childhoods. We have trauma in our past. We have blessings in our past. We have pain in our past. We have failure. We have success. All of us are a mixed bag of what's come before us. And again, we're not defined by that in Christ. We're defined by Jesus Christ and what he's done for us alone, but we cannot ignore the fact that all of the things that have happened in our life up to this moment are affecting how we live and how we relate to one another in a massive way. Much of it was learned from our parents. Much of it was learned from our environment. But without a doubt, the single greatest influence on the vast majority of all of us in this room is our family of origin. It's our family of origin. It's who we were raised by. We understand that God designed it this way. We also understand there are no perfect families. And so all of us in this room, we've got to do some work. We've got to take some time looking at the environments that we were raised in. We've got to take some time examining our own lives and asking the question, Lord, where does this come from? Where, where did some of the lies that I believe today, the lies that I live out of today, where did those get lodged into my heart in the past? How can I begin to rewrite those lies with the truth of God's word, the truth of who you are? How can I begin to respond differently? You know, it's fascinating. I came across this article as I was just researching this week on things that are passed along generationally. And there's some that are very obvious that we all know. Um, there's health things that are passed along generationally. There are addictive patterns that are passed on generationally. But there is a, uh, a researcher, a scientist, her name is Dr. Rachel, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, Yehuda, I think. Uh, she's Israeli. And she, she studies, she does research in the field of epigenetics. And the basic idea behind epigenetics is that your genetic code Okay, your genes, they're not just stagnant. They're not just inherited from the moment of your birth. They're not just, they're not just merely biologically passed down. Your genes are actually formed and shaped and they're malleable based on the environment that you're raised in. Isn't that wild? She is discovering, this entire field of epigenetics is discovering that your environment is affecting your gene code as you are raised. That has massive implications. How she stumbled upon this is even more fascinating because she was, she was researching Holocaust survivors. And she isolated, she discovered a unique stress hormone that was only found in Holocaust survivors or those people who had survived some version of a torture, physically torturous experience in their past. The body actually produces a unique stress hormone to help you survive. 
in seasons of extreme physical, emotional, mental torment. And what she found was this. Not only did the actual survivors of the men and women who had lived through a concentration camp, not only did they have the stress hormone, but guess who else had it? Their children, who had never been prisoners in a concentration camp. Guess who else had it? The grandchildren. It's unbelievable to think all the way down, three to four generations, there are certain things that happen because of the environment that we experience and are raised in. You know, we just recently went through the book of Genesis as a church, and I was thinking about the patterns, if you remember, that you see in the book of Genesis. Starting in Genesis 12, you remember the call of Abram, who later becomes Abraham, Listen to this in Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." There's a blessing that I want to pass on through you, Abraham, through your family line to all the nations of the earth. We know now that that blessing was Jesus Christ. He would come through the Abrahamic line. And this is crazy because just a few verses later, there was a famine in the land. We skip down to verse 10 in Genesis 12. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Good on you, Abram. Winning points with Sarah. Like that's well done, right? Not at all. Next verse. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and they will take you and they will let you live. So say that you are my sister. Say to them, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Not only is that a lie, that is messed up on so many levels. I want things to go well for me, so here you go, Pharaoh, have my wife for a while. Lord, are you sure you picked the right guy? This guy, the integrity here is low, Lord. Like, what's happening? Um... But it wasn't just like a one-off. He didn't do that one time because now we skip ahead to chapter 20 and Abram, Abraham now has a similar encounter with the king Abimelech. It says this, from here, Abram, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took her. Same exact scenario. He didn't want to be harmed or mistreated on the account of his beautiful wife, so he lied again. Now, what's even crazier, fast forward several more chapters, uh, he has a son named Isaac who marries a woman named Rebekah, ends up encountering the same king, Abimelech, and is afraid for his own life because Rebecca is beautiful. So guess what Isaac does? 
He goes, hey, Rebecca, tell Abimelech that you're my sister so I don't get mistreated or killed. And then Abimelech, a few days later, looks out from his window, sees them not acting like brother and sister at all, calls Isaac up and goes, why'd you deceive me? She's your wife, or at least I hope she is. Like father, like son. We continue on in the story, and Jacob comes along. Jacob is, man, he is like the king of all deceivers. His name actually means one who deceives in Hebrew. He lies and steals the birthright from his older brother Esau, which creates a family feud. Jacob has to flee for his life. Those two guys don't see that. Those two sides of the family don't talk for over 21 years, um, creates a massive family mess. Um, we see the continued sins of favoritism, betrayal, all of these things getting passed on from one generation to the next. In the Bible, almost down to the word, like by the T. It's amazing to see that there's just no way around it. We are shaped by our environments, by our past in very significant ways, not just what's modeled for us, but even down to our genetic code for up to three to four generations. Now, the second thing that I wanna say is this, that's true. That is part of the reality that's shaping our lives today. But friends, you can't break that cycle you can't stop that cycle. You can't see a pattern in your own life. You can't, I'm sorry, you can't break a pattern in your own life that you're not aware of. So often, many of us are living in some version of sin, whether it be pride, whether it's envy, whether, it's, um, whether there's just deep generational lines of unforgiveness or bitterness or the way that we relate to others that has become modeled for us for so long and it's become so natural to our lifestyle in general that we don't even know we're doing it. And therefore, we're not asking for forgiveness. We're not even asking for it to be broken. We're just living in it. There's other sins that have been passed down that are more obvious, more destructive, and you know, everybody could list those out, but there are some that are more subtle that we actually need God to help us see so that they can be broken. I, I think of it like this, speaking of becoming like your parents, right? Um, recently, I, <laughs> I had the privilege of uh, bringing home my daughter and a bunch of her friends, a whole bunch of 13-year-old girls back from a volleyball game. They're all on the team together. And uh, man, it was a close game. Uh, they ended up winning in three sets. They came back in the third set to win it. So they're fired up, they're excited. And you know, I, they all pile in my truck. We get in there, it's so loud. Just the volume level of 13 year old girls is amazing. And you know, they're all talking and you know, not even thinking, like not even hesitating. I just begin to like jump into this lecture on life lessons that can be learned from sports and athletics and overcoming hardship. And, you know, I'm just going for it. I don't know how long I was talking, a while, okay? But I was just, you know, proud of them. I was excited and I was, you know, just sharing all that they could learn from this incredible experience. And then, 
When I came up for air, I noticed the car was just silent. And my daughter, she just goes, oh, dad, stop it. We won the game. We're excited. We don't need a lecture about life right now. She's like, we really would love Starbucks. Can we go to Starbucks? And I was like, sure. And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, did you hear so-and-so has a crush and da-da-da? And it's like off to the races again. I was like, wow, that was pointless, Hanson. Like that didn't get through at all. And then there was this moment of deja vu. And I, it was like I was transported back to when I was a 13-year-old sitting in the back seat after a close game with my teammates. And my dad was going through all the life lessons that we should learn and I just remember saying to him, dad, just stop. We don't care. Yeah, whatever life, sports are great. Okay, we're hungry. We need food. And I know that's a ridiculous illustration, but the truth is this. We can't break the patterns we don't see. We can't break the tendencies that we're not aware of. And often, 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 God will use your marriage your spouse, your children, to begin to reveal some of those tendencies in your heart, to begin to show you the areas of impatience, to begin to show you the depth of your unforgiveness or anger, to begin to show you where the roots of these things are in your own life, and you've got to take that journey for yourself of putting that thing to death and creating a new story for the future of your family. You cannot receive the power of forgiveness and the blessing of God's grace over something that you're not aware of. And I'm not talking about, you know, our dad quirks of just, lecturing our kids on life lessons. I'm talking about the deeper things that we know are draining life from our relationships and our souls that we need to deal with. We need to bring into the light. They need to be brought into the light. Number three, we need to remember that God has weighted the scales in your favor. This was fascinating to me. Because if you remember in the verse just before this, God says, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I extend my unfailing love to a thousand generations. A thousand generations. It's a long time. The point being, it's not, oh, uh, you know, the 1,001 generation, they're off. They don't count. No, the point is my mercy goes on and on and on. I have so much grace for you, available to you. Forgiveness is part of my nature. I love to forgive, right? He says this, but forgiveness in excusing or letting, um, letting, letting there be no consequences for actions that are destructive and harmful. He goes, I, I do not excuse the guilty. I have to uphold my justice. I'm a God of justice. If I'm not a just God, then I'm not a good God. If I'm not a just God, then you don't want me on the throne because then I'm just like all the other non-gods out there who are swayed by the emotional mood of their fancy and whether they decide to throw lightning bolts or send sunshine depends on what they ate for breakfast. 
It's not the kind of God you want. By the way, there's only one God. Those gods don't exist anyways. But God is a God of justice, and there's a tension between the justice and the holiness of God and the love of God. There's a tension there. And he says this, I don't excuse the guilty. And what he, what he means by that, he explains it to us. This is how the world works. He goes, the sins of the parents are revisited upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Gosh, isn't that true? Don't we know it? Even children in the third and fourth generations. Friends, we serve a God who is quick to forgive. He is slow to anger. He is speedy to grace and mercy and compassion. But what he's saying here is this, there are consequences to our sin. And when we find ourselves caught in addiction, caught in cycles of anger and violence, when we find ourselves caught in these cycles of unforgiveness and, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be, it's not just affecting us. It's affecting those we care about most. That's just how it works. That's the nature of life. That's why everyone knows, hey, what happens with dad gets passed to son at one level or another. But what this verse is telling us is simply this. God has weighted the scales in your favor. The previous verse says, look, my mercy, my compassion, the grace that is available to you to write a new story with your life, to change the future generations, not just of your present family, but of your grandkids and great-grandkids to come, it's available to you. Yes, there are consequences for your actions, for the things that you're facing today because of what mom and dad did or grandma and granddad, or whatever it may be. Yes, there are consequence, consequences. It affects the entire family. But I believe what God is saying in this statement to Moses is the consequences are real, but so is forgiveness. And if you're trying to weigh these scales, the weight is weighted drastically towards mercy and the power of God's grace to change for you to start a new story now and not, not to sit in the chair that you're seated in today worried and stressed over the life that you've lived or the things, the opportunities missed and the ways that you could have begun this 10, 20, 30 years ago, but to start now and say, even now, God has weighted the scale in my favor. Through Jesus Christ, I can begin to change. I can confront my past. I can change the habits and behaviors that have been deeply ingrained in my life for so long. It is never too late to change. It's never too late for you to become a blessing to those around you. It is never too late for you to become a blessing to your spouse and your children. It's never too late for you to have an impact and a legacy on future generations for the glory of God. It is never too late for you to break a generational stronghold that has been around your family for four, five, six, ten generations. 
It can start with you. Why? Because you're awesome and strong and you have the strength to do it? No. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and gave you the power and the grace to do this, to walk this road. That's why. That's the beauty of the gospel. And friends, he's invited us. The final point is simply this. He's invited us into his family. And I want to close with this. The keys can come on out. So important to remember this. I always wondered in the Bible why there seemed to be so much emphasis. If you ever read the Bible or you've ever read it cover to cover, there are vast sections of Scripture that's just pure lineal, uh, lineology, lineage. <laughs> Is lineology a word? <laughs> genealogy, lineage, there we go. The genealogies. <laughs> Thanks, sweetheart. Um, you know, it, they're so boring to read, and unless you really want to dig in, you're like, I don't care, I'll just skip through to the next part, right? When you come to the beginning of the Gospels and you get to Matthew 1, you have the genealogy of Jesus. And it struck me because as you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We already saw some of the patterns that were passed on from father to son there. Isaac, Isaac I'm sorry, guys. Isaac was the father of Jacob. The deceiver. We see the patterns that were passed on there. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And it mentions whose mother was Tamar. Judah's daughter-in-law, who later seduced him in order to get pregnant. In, in the genealogy of Jesus. It goes on. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, Nashon, it goes on. And then we get on down here where it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. If you know who Rahab was, she was a prostitute that God used to save the Israelite people in the Old Testament. It goes on, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, decided it was very important for all the world to know for all time that in the lineage of Jesus was not just this sterling heritage of heroes and righteous men and women, but it was filled with broken, messed up people and family situations. It even mentions Bathsheba and Uriah by name. Uriah is the man that King David had killed in order to cover up his affair with Bathsheba. Matthew did not have to include that in the lineage of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit who was leading him to write this said, put it in. And then there's this invitation in Ephesians 1 where God says, look, 
I've made a way to adopt all of you into my family. We all come. We are all descendant from Adam and Eve who turned away from me in the beginning. Sin and death have infected the world. None of us have perfect families, perfect homes, perfect children. None of us. But through Christ, we can be adopted into the lineage of God, of heaven. Jesus Christ, the one who overcame sin and death, has the power and ability to write a new story in your life. And friends, the Bible is very aware of generational realities for all of us. But I want to say this, breaking generational sins and patterns, it starts with the gospel. It starts with the hope of Christ. It starts with you understanding that you have been fully forgiven, that God is in your favor. God is in your corner. And then it takes some work. It takes you getting honest. It takes you stepping into community. It takes you showing up potentially at therapy or rehab or counseling or whatever it may be, you have to step into the grace that is available to you and that's been received already through the cross, but you gotta step into that and live that out. And friends, there are certain things that don't die easy, amen? It takes time. But the work is worth it. And my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us is that we would, we would not try and bury our past. We would not ignore it. We wouldn't cover it up. We would face it by the grace of God. I believe facing our past is the beginning of healing. It's the beginning of those patterns being broken in our own lives. And it's the beginning of us passing on a lineage of blessing to our children and to our grandchildren and their children's children. And we can start a new story, a new narrative by the grace of God. Amen? Friends, with that in mind, we're gonna take communion together now. And we're gonna remember and receive what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And remember, it's, it's through this act of Christ dying for us on the cross his blood being shed for us, his body being broken for us, that we can be adopted into a new family story, the family of God. And that process of healing and blessing can begin. I wanna pray for us and then we're gonna take communion together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for every person in this room, Lord. I, I just pray, Lord, for those this morning who are sitting in this room and are just so aware of certain patterns in their own life that have been generational, that may feel hopeless. And Lord, right now I pray that they would be filled with the hope and strength needed to begin stepping towards freedom, to begin writing a new story. Lord, they would know that they're forgiven in Christ and they can begin to fight for freedom from that place of forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the cross. And right now, Lord, we take communion in remembrance of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.